0: So today we're talking about something really awesome, um, but I wanna make sure that I don't feel the need to rush. We're gonna have a lot of scripture today, but it's all really awesome. And so I don't, as much as I'm okay with like the fire hydrant method, where I just like throw scripture at you all morning long, I don't wanna rush through it just because there's a lot, because I think it's all really cool. Um, If you're new here, here's where we've been. We've been in this series called Back to Basics. Guys, believe it or not, we're on week 16. We have been in Back to Basics for 16 weeks. By the end of this, we'll have spent the third of our year in this series, which is pretty surreal. But if you haven't been with us, here's what we've been doing. We've been taking basic Christian practices and breaking them down into two weeks. And those two weeks are representative of two questions. The first week is the question of why, okay? It's going, hey, why do we do this thing? I've just found in the Christian life, you can kind of live in this cycle of doing the same thing over and over again. And when you do something long enough, sometimes you forget the reason you're doing it. And so we take that why for some of us to learn for the very first time, oh, that's why Christians do that. Uh, But for some of us to relearn it, that's right. Prayer is not this mundane, apathetic, neutral thing. It actually is something's happening there. So we, we covered prayer in one of the weeks. Anyway, so why is the first week? The second week is the question of how. Because I've also found that in Christianity, when you're in it long enough, sometimes you forget to actually put the things into practice. So you live a life fully understanding the why, but you never actually live into it, which really robs you of the life that Jesus is trying to give you. The life that Jesus promises you is contingent upon not only your understanding of why you do it, but also your participation in actually doing it. And so we take the how week and go, how do you actually in real time, in your living room, at the park, at the coffee shop, at work, at college, whatever it is, how do you actually do it? And on those weeks, we get mind-numbingly practical. That's the goal, is that you can leave and within three minutes actually have handles on how to live into it, right? So for example, when we talked about prayer, we wrote down why in week one, and then in week two, how, we talked about the environment you're in. We talked about the posture you take. We talked about different methods, different things you can try. And we just made long lists of things to go for, things to try, because we're all different and we're going to engage with God in different ways. But anyway, so that's the hope of the series. We only have three weeks left, which for me is sad. Um, And for you is also sad, a relief. Mixed feelings? Cool. All right. Um, All right. So we got three weeks left, which means today we're introducing our last uh, basic Christian practice. Okay. And per usual, I want to start with a story before actually getting into what it is. All right. So uh, my dad, uh, growing up with him, was really awesome. Um, I had a really strong, good family. Um, That was just my experience. My mom and dad raised me well. Um, My dad raised me to love Jesus. Um, man, he loved me so much. He was probably generous to a fault at times. I could be a little spoiled brat, and, uh, but you know, it turned out okay. Hope, thank you, Lord, um, grace, mercy. Um, we all need it. So uh, don't know what I'm saying anymore. Um, but my dad, uh, man, he was a good husband. He is a good husband. He is a good dad. He worked really hard to provide for his family. It was just, just a good upbringing. Um, but what's so powerful About that reality, that that got to be my experience, is that he had the opposite experience. So his dad um, was abusive on a lot of levels, Uh, just never was told, I love you, Uh, treated terribly, literally all his life. While he lived at home, it was awful for my dad. Uh, He had nine brothers and sisters, all of them treated terrible, and uh, just grew up in a cold world. Uh, He was doing drugs by the age of nine, Uh, he was on all the drugs and all the alcohol from nine to age like 20. Um, and that was when he started dating my mom. Um, bless up. Glad that happened. It's, I'm the result. So, um, <laughs> But uh, he started dating my mom. And my mom's mom, Granny Sue, shout out, she makes really good quilts. But she also discipled my dad. Um, she started breaking down the Bible for him and talking about Jesus pretty relentlessly, honestly. And my dad ended up coming to Jesus, and my grandpa was very skeptical of that moment. He said, if you think you coming to Jesus is gonna let you marry my daughter, you can think again. That was tough for my dad to hear because he genuinely just believed in Jesus, but it wasn't like some tactic, but he was like, you know, deal, okay? (laughs) I love the Lord. Um, But uh, so he comes to believe in Jesus, and it's this really cool moment. And um, as he started following Jesus, and he married my mom, and he got permission from my granddad, and he had this moment where, and he's told me about this a few times, where he just decided, hey, I'm going to be this like cycle breaker, like this generational thing that's been happening. Whatever happened to my dad's dad and my dad's dad's dad and so on and so forth, that there's been this cycle of abuse, it will stop here. This is when it stops. And my dad, he didn't make this decision passively, right? He didn't passively resist old things that had been ingrained in him, right? He actively did that. He didn't passively like, trailblaze new pathways into how to healthily, healthily parent children and be a husband to a wife, like, right? He partnered with the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit helped him blaze new trails, new pathways into being a healthy father, a healthy husband, right? And the conversation we're having today, uh, it's about something that we can't do passively, that we've all been given different stories. We've all had different experiences and broken versions of things. And if we're gonna follow Jesus uh, and we're gonna live into his ways and his words and his works, we're not gonna be able to do that passively. It's gonna take our activity. If you've ever been on a YouTube binge, have you ever been on a YouTube binge and gotten to the dark hole of watching fights happen in public? Like, fight at the Walmart. And you're like, that is so sad, click, click. You know, and it's just a bad place. It's just sadness, honestly. I just want to let you know that's what I think. I think it's sad, but I've accidentally been intrigued at times, right? But but as as, uh, I'm not promoting it, I really want to be clear. I think it's sad. I've had to tell myself, don't watch that anymore. Just bad vibes. This is sad. But as the years have gone on and technology has advanced, what you've noticed is, if you've ever seen videos like this, is there's like 17 people holding phones and videoing. There's two people fighting, hurting each other. It's not good. It's not good. And there's 17 people who could 1 million percent do something about it, but they're videoing. And if we wanna believe in the good of humanity, maybe they're doing that so that they can show it to the police and the police can do justice, right? But usually it's so they can post it and hopefully get views, right? Because this is insane, you won't believe this fight at Walmart, right? And I just thought, thank God for the moments that someone puts the phone down and intervenes, right? Like when turmoil is taking place and someone says, I'm gonna try to bring peace to the situation or at least try to make the turmoil stop. Isn't that awesome? And I was just thinking about the, the thing we're talking about today. It's gonna, it's gonna ask of us to not be a people that stand by and watch turmoil break loose and go, man, would you look at that? It's gonna ask that we put our spiritual and maybe literal phones in our pocket and we intervene into the mess The basic Christian practice we're talking about today is the conversation of discipleship. And this conversation is kind of the pendulum moment of the whole series. So I've, maybe this hasn't been subtle, but I've tried to be subtle. The whole point of this series, I believe, was put on my heart when I started asking the question, how can the church at Ruby, how can this local church become a church of disciple makers? Jesus. That's... Low-key, high-key, mid-key, the only reason we exist, right, is to know God and to help others know God. And I want to break this down today in the Old Testament and the New Testament to show us that we were created by and live for a God who wants to partner with people, willing to participate on the behalf of other people, and that's always been true. That, that I don't know if you've always viewed Christianity as a sideline thing, as a spectator sport, but that you were created to participate with God on behalf of other people. And so I wanna break down this word discipleship, and I wanna acknowledge on the forefront, discipleship is the most vague word that we all nod our head and go, no, that's specific. But if I ask you what discipleship is, come on. Even I'm like, I literally struggled so hard this week. It's all I do. I work for a church planning family and we literally say we're a family of disciples that exist to make disciples and plant churches. And I'm like, okay, how do I talk about discipleship again? And that's all I've been doing for the past five years, right? But it's vague, it's weird. It's like, does that mean like we do Sunday school every week? Is that it? Am I doing it? Do I lead a house church? Is that it? Am I doing it? it, it, it do I read the Bible every day? Is that it? Am I doing it? And the question, the answer is yes, like all of that. But anyway, we're gonna talk about it. And I'm, I'm excited and I'm hoping that we're gonna take today to go, hey, why do we do it? Why is discipleship important? But then next week, I'm gonna do my very best to get really practical that this feels accessible, that this feels like digestible and that we can live into it, okay? So we're talking about discipleship. I'm very excited. And um, if I start going too fast, raise your hand and tell me to stop, okay? All right, Um, so... This conversation is not a new idea, right? This is as old as time. Um, This is in the DNA of scripture, and we're gonna break that down. Um, But the the passage that comes to my heart to start off this conversation is in Isaiah 6, verse 8. Uh, You've probably heard this passage, even if you didn't know you were hearing it. It says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. This conversation is one that goes, God, I am here, send me. If you need people to go, I'll go. This is the conversation, all right? And this is the posture we need in the heart of hearts, all right, and this is not an easy thing. It may be a simple concept, but it'll be complex in our spirit, but I believe God has something for us here. So as we journey through this, in the Old Testament, I'm really gonna point out participation, okay? That God partners with people that participate on behalf of other people. And then in the New Testament, it's under that same umbrella, but specifically, I'm gonna point out that one, Jesus did it, all right? That's already a good answer to the why. Hey, why do you do it? Jesus did it. Okay, sweet. Let's get into the how, right? It could be that simple. Um, So Jesus did it. Uh, Secondly, in the New Testament, Jesus told us to do it, right? That's another really good reason. So... If we weren't already sold it, Jesus did it. When Jesus told us to do it, we really got ourselves in a bind there, okay? Um, uh, In a a holy, good, encouraging bind. Um, And then number four, uh, or number three in the New Testament, but number four overall, um, it just makes sense. I wanna just talk about how discipleship is so obviously the way to do it in Christian and non-Christian spheres. Like discipleship is so clearly effective, like the most effective, okay? So we're gonna start in the Old Testament with participation, all right? And so on these weeks, um, it's, um, it's just list oriented. It's, it's, it's kind of long in that way. And so whatever way you can actively lean in and really engage with what I'm saying, do that. So I I say this a lot, but treat this like a living room. If you're like me um, and my friend Richard from Kenya, who I got to hang out with this week, we like to go stand in the back and like literally move around as we listen. It helps our minds engage. If you need to do that, you should do that. I mean, if it helps you to sit still, sit still. But my point is, whatever it takes for you to engage with what we're about to cover, I think it's incredible and it's incredibly important. Okay, so is that cool? Can I get just a comprehensive head nod? Can I see him? That looked pretty funny. I didn't know it would, but it looked like this like ocean wave of head nods. It was really cool. Um, Okay, so let's talk about it. Um, Let's put that slide up with all the scriptures. So what we've been doing in the past, and we'll do it again today, here's all your scripture references. And one of the ways that I think you can actively participate and like stay with it in the teaching is write down in your phone or in your notes, each text and then a brief description by each one. And per usual, if you want any of these notes, I will email them to you. Okay, let's go. I wanna point out very, the first and foremost thing that, that before there was even a sin issue in the world, God longed to partner with humans, all right? So in Genesis chapter two, verses 19 through 20, it's kinda of just a fun example. Um, it says, whatever man called every living creature, that was its name. So fun thing, God creates creation um, and then he delegates to man. He goes, man, whatever, I don't know how this worked man, I've given you language somehow and you know it all already. And whatever you decide to call these little and big and medium-sized, moving little creatures with long noses and short noses, with long necks and short necks, you know, whatever, with wings and without wings, whatever you call those things, that's what they're called, all right? So from the very beginning, God is inviting man to participate in creation, right? So I don't know if that sold you on that, but I thought that was a really fun example. Like, what a fun job, tiger, and then, like, he missed it sometimes with aardvark. It's like, okay, I don't know. It's kind of weird, spelt weird, sounds weird. Um, obviously, he said it in, like, Hebrew or Aram, whatever the language was. Anyway, moving forward, done getting distracted. In Genesis chapter 12, this, you've heard this passage uh, referred to actually a lot in the past, if you've been here in our series, but it's a big moment. It's where God meets Abram or Abraham, all right, and he's going to father a nation, So God chooses Abraham. He sees Abraham, recognizes his faithfulness, and goes, hey, I will bless a nation that will come through you. And a fun story there, because his wife, Sarah, is far too old to have a baby. God does a miracle. They have children. That births the nation of Israel, all right? So God partners with Abraham and Sarah to birth the nation of Israel. The entire book of Exodus covers this, but specifically chapters 1 through 34, is the story where the Israelites are enslaved for like 400 years in Egypt, and Moses' speech impediment, and while he is away from the land of Egypt where his people of Israel are enslaved, God calls on him, and he sends Moses to the Israelites, and it's interesting. I don't have an answer for this. I just know it's true. I don't know why God didn't just strike down the Egyptians and tell the Israelites from heaven, be free, right? Right? but it's just obvious he chooses Moses. He goes, I'm gonna use you despite your weakness to deliver these people. Partner with me, participate in this. The people of Israel will be freed with your obedience. So there's there's an awesome and powerful example. In Joshua chapter 2, that's the story of Rahab and Jericho. So the spies of Israel are looking at Jericho, a land they want to conquer. And while they're there, the king finds out they're there and they're hiding with a prostitute. And it's holy living, but they're hiding in a prostitute's house. And Rahab helps them stay safe. The king goes hunting for them, knows they've been with Rahab, and then she is like, I don't know what you're talking about. And their lives are spared, right? And then because of that, Rahab's life is spared. Rahab is brought into the fold and Jesus actually comes from the line of Rahab. It's pretty crazy stuff. Um, so really cool thing. First Samuel chapter three. Um, this is neat because it's not just a partnership thing. You also get some discipleship. Um, this is where Eli and Samuel um, get to meet each other. So Samuel is gonna grow up to be the guy that hears from God and anoints the kings of Israel. A really powerful job. Like he's the voice. He says, you're going to lead Israel. But he first meets Eli. And in 1 Samuel 3, Eli teaches Samuel how to hear from God and respond to God. It's this powerful moment where Samuel keeps hearing something. He's like, Eli, what is going on? And Eli's like, that's the Lord. The next time you hear that, respond in this way. So you see God partnering with Samuel, but also Samuel being discipled by Eli. A little, a lot of things happen right there. It's really cool. All right. So 2 Kings 2 verse 9. There's this really cool discipleship friendship happening between Elijah and Elisha, two men that will be used by God to protect Israel, to speak out against their enemies. And Elisha, as Elijah's come to the end of his life, he asks for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. He's like, Elijah, I've been underneath you. I've been following you. I've been learning your ways. And before you die, I need more of what you have. I want as much of it as I can get. Like, I want that same Spirit. It's this picture of uh, both these guys partnering with God, but also in that discipleship relationship, and we're going to define this more as we go. In Second Chronicles six verse thirty-two, this is so cool. I, I read this a few months ago, and I honestly low-key see it. I keep saying low-key. Just bear with me. I don't know why, but low-key. John three sixteen of the Old Testament. This is what this felt like to me in some ways. Um, that may be hyperbolic, but it was really powerful. Solomon has built a temple, and he prays this really powerful prayer. He goes. God, I want any foreigner that comes near us, that sees this temple, if they pray to you, please answer their prayers so that they will know you are the one true God. So God put it on Solomon to build a temple that the people of Israel would go and work Israelites. When sojourners, travelers, when they happen upon this temple, God answer any prayer so that they could know you're the one true God. That's saucy. That's really good. Um, all right, so First Samuel seventeen forty seven. Um, that's the story of David and Goliath. And uh, so David is this little shepherd boy who Saul the king tries to put armor on. It's far too big and far too heavy. And David just goes goes in with a slingshot and a few stones facing Goliath. And uh, before defeating Goliath, he says something pretty epic. He goes, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. So beforehand he goes, I have the Lord. That is enough. And then obviously, (whistles) Goliath, And then David wins and he's the king. So it's a big moment there. Um, The book of Esther, this story, guys, if you just want a good like biblical story, that just is a good read. The book of Esther is really awesome. Um, So Esther, while the Israelites are in exile under the Persian empire, Esther is this Israelite woman who is chosen to be the queen of the king and she is there in a pivotal moment. Her uncle Mordecai would say, for such a time as this, you are placed here because the evil man named Haman wants to kill the Israelites. And because Esther is who she is, she gets to pray fast and then boldly enter the king's court and plead with him not to spare the Israelites, to say no to this decree, right? And I think I told that story mostly right. I think it's 100% accurate, but I kind of just spitballed. Um, but it's an amazing story, where Esther partners in prayer with God and this is a perfect moment to spare the lives of Israel. They were about to be killed by an evil man, all right? Powerful story, please read that book, it's so good. Nehemiah, that whole book is awesome. Nehemiah is this guy who after Jerusalem has been war-torn, their walls are torn down, God puts it on the heart of Nehemiah to go rebuild city walls. A city without walls is a city asking to be defeated time and time again. So Nehemiah partners with God and if you read the story of Nehemiah, he faces so much opposition, But God has partnered with him in building the walls around Jerusalem so that Jerusalem could be safe to help restore the city. Powerful story. The book of Jonah, all right, there's a whale involved. It's really cool. Um, He gets swallowed, but doesn't die. It's got to be a crazy journey for him. Quite the testimony at church camp. But he has this calling to go and reach the Ninevites. And the story starts out really powerful, honestly. He gets called to reach the Ninevites. And Jonah, knowing God and knowing God's goodness, goes, God, as good as you, I'm paraphrasing, but as good as you are, the Ninevites are far too wicked. They are not worthy. As, as all encompassing as your love is and your might is, not them, right? And so he runs for a little bit. That's when the whole whale thing happens and swallows it up, all right? But then he goes to the Ninevites and he preaches the truth of who God is, and Ninevites repent. It's this very powerful moment where God partners with Jonah to restore a very wicked people. Very wicked, all right. Every prophetic book. You know, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, like th- those, are, those are people who are called by God to speak God's truth on behalf of other people. Oftentimes they're ignored, but the partnership is there, all right? This is what God is invested in. So the entire Old Testament is full of this. I've given you a lot of examples. I've given you just so few examples in comparison to how many there actually are of God choosing to partner with humans in order to reveal his goodness. Does that make sense? All right, so that's the Old Testament. Now we're gonna transition to the New Testament. And this is all under the category of partnership, participation, um, but we're gonna, we're gonna hone in on Jesus right here, okay? So in the New Testament, I'm gonna, I'm gonna remind us, there's two things I want us to see. First, that Jesus did it. And secondly, that Jesus told us to do it, okay? So first of all, Jesus does this, all right? He does discipleship. In Mark chapter one, he begins in a lot of different passages, but we'll use Mark one, he calls disciples into himself. And I want to remind us, or maybe teach us for the first time, what rabbinic culture was like, all right? So when a rabbi looks at someone and says, follow me, what he means by that. I mean, traditionally, what this meant was, if you followed a rabbi, you were notorious for having the dust from the rabbi's trail on your clothes, Meaning that wherever the rabbi walked, you were close behind. That as he walked on the dusty roads of Jerusalem, the dust would find its way onto your garments, right? That's what it was known for. So rabbis, when they called someone, the people saying yes to the call of the rabbi knew, I'm gonna follow you so close. I'm not just gonna listen to your teachings. I wanna resemble your every move. It was this very close following. It meant something to them. But what's really neat about what Jesus does, okay, rabbis were to call the most qualified, right? At the end of the day, you want the people who are best able to reflect you to follow you. So it would make sense. They want the professionals, the the 4.0s of divinity school. But Jesus does something odd. He asks zealots and fishermen to follow him, people who either flunked out or self-checked out of divinity school. They weren't good enough to be called by other rabbis. Rabbis wouldn't trust them. They don't have the education. They don't have the intelligence level. And yet Jesus goes, no, you've got the it factor. The it factor being the image of God is in you. Follow me. It's a very powerful thing when Jesus says, follow me. He calls disciples to himself. And from that point on, everything that Jesus does is discipleship. So there's not many gospel examples because the entire gospel is discipleship. So, spit water everywhere. Um, Get that out of the way there. Didn't help anything, just spread out more. Um, Everything that Jesus does in the gospels is discipleship. So please, if you haven't written that down, maybe you already know that, but if you didn't know that, write that down. Everything you watch Jesus do, know that there were 12 people or more closer to him, closely watching everything he's doing. Jesus is always discipling, all right? Um, So that's what's happening. In Matthew chapter 10, he's uh, very overt here that discipleship is not just a spectator sport. It's not just a, hey, you watch me always and forever. Just watch, 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 right? It's more than that. In Matthew 10, he sends out the 12, sends them away from him. Go, you have the authority to heal, to cast out demons. And they leave, they depart from him with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so it's this powerful moment where he goes, you're not, discipleship doesn't mean you're only with me forever. I'm gonna send you out and and you're gonna help others come to know me, right? So it's a powerful story in Matthew 10. Um, So Jesus discipled his disciples, okay? Um, So that's the first point, Jesus did this. Secondly, Jesus told us to do it. All right, this is the Great Commission, Okay, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, this is Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Wow! I need to circle that. I didn't even that. That's so good. Um, the "I am with you" part. That's just I got. It's so easy around the discipleship conversation to go, "Okay, what's my task?" and and to totally forget that Jesus says, "Hey, go and do this. I am with you." That okay. We'll get into that next week in the how, but that's a big deal, and I'm gonna we're gonna talk about it way more. Um, that's sick. Okay, so now we've talked about discipleship and I wanna, I wanna pause this for a second. I wanna give us a working definition. That's a vague word, right? Um, because just culturally in a Christian culture, that can be really vague. So um, next slide, I wanna show you this definition that I have. A disciple, oh, good. Um, a disciple is someone who is following Jesus, okay? Following Jesus being transformed, I could have put the word actively there, being, parentheses, actively, parentheses, transformed by Jesus and is committed to the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus. So a disciple of Jesus is anything and everything Jesus, they're in on, all right? And discipleship is walking with someone else as they learn to do it too, right? We're forever learning how to be like Jesus. So if you have the false narrative of, I'm not ready to disciple, uh, you'll never, that narrative won't ever go away because uh, you'll never look in the mirror and go, I figured it out. <laughs> this is what perfection feels like. Jesus, I am you now. You know, this never happens. You kind of always fall short. That's why grace is awesome. So, discipleship, that narrative of I've gotta be at a certain place is a false narrative, all right? Discipleship is going, hey, I'm following Jesus and I'm, I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna walk with you. Uh, and we'll get into the how of this, okay? So a lot of this will feel like just a big, okay, cool, I'm, I get it. And next week it'll get very practical, all right? Okay, so someone who is following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus and is committed to the words, the works and the ways of Jesus and the discipleship walking with someone else. All right, back to the scriptures. Acts chapter four, verses 18 through 20. This is fresh after Jesus has ascended. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon the disciples. Things are going crazy. A lot of people are believing in Jesus, like thousands in this small community. It's an amazing thing, but it's disrupting the religious elite. They don't believe in Jesus and they don't want anyone else. And so Peter and John have this pretty wild moment where they're arrested and their lives are threatened, okay? It says, then they called them in again. They called Peter and John in and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I want you to hear this. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So he's going, look, all threats considered, You guys contemplate it, think about it, internalize, and let us know if you think this is right or wrong that we talk about this. But just so you know where we're coming from, we cannot help it. We have experienced something so good and so real that we will talk about it. And whatever consequences come, they come. But we got to talk about this thing, (laughs) all right? Jesus is too good and too real. And so there's this moment where we as Christians, as we walk with Jesus, I would say, If we are not invested in discipleship, and I don't mean this in like some like intimidating way, just but if we're not invested in helping other people know Jesus, we don't there's there's more for us. And we we don't know Jesus well enough. Like this love, this relationship in its nature goes beyond ourselves. It, It it just that is that is fact, that is what happens. It is unstoppable. Like, when you behold the true gospel, the true love of Jesus, it will go beyond you. 10 out of 10. That's a journey, right? So if you go, oh, shoot, I'm not doing it. Do I believe in Jesus? I'm not, no, 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 we're not going there. But I am saying, as you follow Jesus, you will bring this beyond, you will take this beyond yourself every time, okay? Romans 10, verse 14, Paul says, "'How then will they call on him "'in whom they have not believed?' And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Paul gets really elementary. How do you expect someone to hear about and believe in Jesus if no one has told them? Thus, the importance, the essential nature of discipleship, that we sign up to be first goers. Here I am, send me. I will speak of the name of Jesus. I will declare his words. I will live out his works. I will display his ways. 1 Corinthians 4, 15 through 16 to wrap us up. I, for though you have had countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. It is okay to embrace that discipleship is what's going on. (laughs) Paul goes, "Let me make this clear. I want to like be a father to you, not in the sense of like authority, but like in love for you relationally and well and some spiritual authority in there. But like I want to care for you, know that I'm following Jesus and it is good to imitate me because I'm giving my all to imitating Jesus. That kind of captures discipleship. Hey, follow me as I follow Jesus. And of course, we're both following Jesus, right? But like here in the physical, follow me. I'm following Jesus, okay?" So, um, we've got the first three partnership, all right, overarching, partnership with people willing to participate in more, right? Um, then, second, Jesus did this, okay? And then, third, Jesus told us to do it, all right? And then, fourth, uh, discipleship has always been powerful and effective. Parents, you know this better than anyone else, how impactful discipleship is. The minute your kid says something in public that didn't come off very well, but you know for a fact they learned it from you, you have experienced the powerful nature of discipleship. Like the minute they say the curse word and you're like, where did he learn that? I am shocked at you right now. And you're just like, no, that's me. I discipled that into that kid, right? It's like, that's how it works, right? But also when they do healthy things, you're like, hey, I worked hard to make sure you knew how to share, That's discipleship, right? That's why like jobs is important, like in the medical field of like nursing and and being a doctor. That's why it's required that you shadow. You don't just learn knowledge, you watch it happen. Like there's power in watching someone do something, not just getting the head knowledge, but watching someone physically move. I I remember uh, Dave telling me, do you like all my emotions? Um, They're moving, you see how I'm moving? That's discipleship. Um, You guys all start discipling people that way and everyone's like, what is going on? Um, Uh, discipleship, take notes. Um, But I I remember Dave told me a story about a guy coming to fix his, uh, uh, my friend Dave, uh, coming to fix his air conditioner and he had an apprentice with him. And the apprentice did not do one thing. He watched the whole time. That's discipleship. Like, and and the guy would just say, hey, this is what I'm doing right now. I'm not just gonna like show you a, a slideshow that helps you understand this. You're gonna watch me fix this thing. That's discipleship, right? So this works everywhere. Fashion, all of us have been discipled in fashion. The minute Justin Bieber wears something ugly, it is not ugly. It's so ugly, it's beautiful, right? The minute like, Kanye West puts on the, like, the weirdest, what in the world is that? But it's like, it's kind of dope though. You know what I mean? Like, just because, right? Like, that's what we are culturally. We, we open the magazine, we scroll on Instagram, and we're like, I guess that is cool. And we try to wear it. That's discipleship. I'm not kidding, that's what it is, right? Discipleship happens on the physical level on the spiritual level, on the mental level. I was uh, taking someone to where they lived because they needed a ride, that's vague, but I was giving someone a ride somewhere. And it's a guy that I I love a lot and I'm discipling him and and we're both aware that that's what's happening. Like we've embraced it. I wanna really like help you like grow in the Lord. And and it was cool because as I was sitting with him before he got out of the car, I sat back in my chair and was holding the little handle above the seat in the car handle. I'm sitting and talking like this, all right? I'm just looking at him. And I realize I don't normally do this. But when I was discipled, as I've been discipled by Dave Clayton for eight years. And every time we have a car ride together, whenever we put it in park and he listens to me, he would sit and he'd do this. And I realized, like, whoa, I'm not just saying the things he's saying and thinking the ways he thinks. I am physically embodying the things Dave does. For me, that is extremely encouraging because I believe with all of my heart, Dave is worth uh, uh, showing, like worth uh, replicating, right? I believe that so much. He loves God. And I'm like, if I'm starting to replicate Dave, even on the physical level, I'm hype. That's dope because I respect him with all of my heart, right? That's discipleship. It's going, man, life on life, as we walk with others, as we imitate Christ, they imitate us. And let me say this, you will never replicate who you wish you were you will always replicate who you actually are. That's the importance of this series. We spent 15 weeks going, let's build you. Let's fall in love with God. Let's pray, let's read, let's worship, let's serve, let's confess, let's Sabbath, let's live in community. Now let's go help others do it. Let's make sure that we're formed and that is not living into the narrative that you're not ready to disciple yet. So wherever you're at in the journey, if, you're, if you follow Jesus, I would argue you are ready to make disciples right now. But it is going, let's be formed so that as we imitate Jesus, when someone else imitates us, it's good news. It's good news, right? And so uh, I think it's a powerful thing. So um, let's see, discipleship, is the way of God. Like that is his idea. I believe it's his way. I believe it's in the DNA of scripture. It is the methodology of the gospel that people would participate with God on behalf of other people. I need to write something down. Um, Imitate who you are. I didn't, uh, yeah, hold on. Isn't this fun? (laughs) It's just like a conversation. I'm just so comfortable up here. Hey, hold on one second. Okay. Okay. So wherever you are, wherever you work, wherever you live, wherever you attend school, uh, whatever's going on, um, I, I just want you to know that as long as you're at the Ruby, I believe that God has put it on my heart to aim toward releasing disciple makers. I believe that Jesus is the news. He is the best news. He is the only news that is newsworthy above all else that he is worthy of our following, that we experience true life in a culture that sells us a lot of counterfeit. Jesus is real life. He is the abundant life. We have to be the first goers here. There has been someone that's helped you if you believe in Jesus, that helped you get there. You're gonna be that for many other people. I want this place to be a place where it's just discipleship turnover, we're just like, we're just throwing them out. You come in and you leave a disciple. You move to wherever else you go. The, the story of Corinth, um, when Paul went to the Corinthians, he went to Corinth because that was a place where a lot of trading happened. A lot of ships came in and out from different ports. And he knew if the gospel gets in Corinth, it goes everywhere. Nashville is Corinth. It's a place where everyone comes for a little bit and leaves. Some people stay and we're gonna keep walking together. But the, for those that come here for four years, you're gonna leave and you're gonna go somewhere else. I see that here. And I want Ruby to be like a, a lighthouse for that. That man, I moved to Nashville, I was there for four years and I left a disciple maker and my city's different. My neighborhood's different. And I just like, picture, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones, throwback, I picture that map where it shows where Indiana Jones is traveling. It shows like the red line going from like wherever to wherever and it shows like the plane routes. And I just see, I just see people, the red line going to Nashville and then going to that city and that city and that city and then more red lines, city, city, just spreading out. And that's what happens with discipleship. When the church of Jesus takes discipleship seriously, it creates a movement. And what a movement means is no matter which leader falls off, the movement cannot be stopped. There's a disciple-making movement happening. That is helping others know Jesus very simply and live into the ways and the words and the works of Jesus, okay? Um, all right, so this happens everywhere. I believe it is for you, it is for me, it is for all of us. Uh, there is no calling to discipleship. It is the call it, well, It is always the calling to discipleship is what I mean. There's no like unique, I don't think I'm called to be a disciple maker. Yes, you are, if you follow Jesus, okay? All right, so um, I know this is a big conversation and I know that I've I've just told you the why, okay? Um, Next week, that's why we're doing this series is so that we can give an appropriate amount of time uh, to thinking practically, who do I disciple? When, how often, how does this work? Do they have to believe in Jesus to be discipled? Uh, Do I have to have a Bible study every week to disciple somebody? Like, what is discipleship in real time? What does it look like? And I'm gonna do my best to give us some real handles on this. And and listen, this is a participation conversation only. This is not a spectator conversation. If you hear this and don't put it into practice, I promise you this will mean nothing to you. And it is what it is. But when you start putting this thing into practice, you start seeing death come to life. This, this, this. Is a game changer, um, and so I believe we're called to it here, and uh, we're going to stand for that here at Ruby. So uh, I'm really, really excited. So I love you guys. Thanks for listening. I really liked sitting on the stool, and really loved. It felt like we were locked in. That's that's such a cool thing. Thank you for your your eye contact and your subtle head nods. That is actually so helpful. So um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get dismissed to communion. And communion's going to be really simple today. You can take it on your own. You can take it with someone you came with. You can do. You can. Ask someone who you haven't met yet, do you want to take communion together? But the prayer point is simple. God, like you have called us into disciple making to helping others know Jesus. Simply put, will you help us do it? (laughs) Like you told us to do it. We're gonna do it. Will you help us? Next week, we're talking about how. Will you just anoint Josh this week? Will you anoint our ears next week? Like help us to come in ready next week to break this thing down. Give us dreams, give us vision. Like just pray over this. All right, so I'm gonna pray. I'll dismiss this to communion. We'll worship. God, thank you. Love you. I love this conversation, um, but I do recognize that if this stays at conversation level, it didn't go nearly far enough. And so um, I pray that this this conversation just today causes discipleship to break out before we even get to how. (laughs) Um, Lord, I pray for epiphanies right now. Before we get all practical, I pray for practical implementation already. Um, But God, I also just pray for us as this week, will you give us hearts of prayer for discipleship? And and I pray your anointing over next week. Um, God, as we talk about what you have commissioned us to do. Um, Yeah, we love you in Jesus' name, amen.